Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing with my fellow growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. I'm going to pass it over first to Spartan Grown at a different location today. Welcome back, Spartan. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks, Jack. Thanks, everybody on the panel. Um, Spartan Grown, you can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Uh, there's a lot of fake accounts out there trying to be me now, apparently, not only on Facebook, but I'm getting them for YouTube and other things. Uh, I've tried to reach out to those places and see if there anything can be done and apparently no so you can only find me on instagram if you find my name or my likeness somewhere else it's not me if you don't do instagram you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com uh, and uh, those are my two contacts uh, other than that please don't believe the fakers <laughs> i've had another one today uh spring up so it's good to be clear and I, i've seen uh, several of those fake accounts unfortunately and I do report them, but they only do so much. Some of them get taken down, but most of them unfortunately stay up or they just make another one. So uh, it's good to know where to find them. But next up, we've got Dr. MJ. Hey guys, it's Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. You can obviously check me out on CocoForCannabis.com or on Instagram at Dr. MJ Coco or on YouTube at Dr. MJ Coco. And that's what I'll be commenting on in the chat today. I was... Um, out last week so i'm happy to be back this week and uh look forward to a good show we're happy to have you back and next up matthew gates everyone my name is matthew gates i'm an integrated pest management specialist and you can check me out at sentinel.com for professional inquiries for consulting regarding uh dealing with pests prevention and mitigation and uh i came across two really interesting things recently for most termites in cannabis which is a a growing problem and also a really weird a yeast infection from a plant wound. So that was very interesting uh, to interact with. And uh, yeah, so check me out if you're interested in that kind of information. Definitely might have to talk a little bit about that later, but uh, next up, Brandon Rust. What's going on, everybody? Brandon Rust here. You can find the body of my work on Instagram at rust.brandon, and you can also visit me at Bokashi Earthworks uh, for fertilizers, amendments, microbes. You can hit me up and get wholesale orders on soil. We'll have soil up on the website here soon. Um, yeah, nice, good to be here. Happy to have you back. And last and certainly not least, the American one. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Jack, always good to see you. And panel, always good to see everybody and everyone in chat. I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IG. And uh, it's always good to be here. And uh, before I stop, Jack, I heard this little clip earlier today and they were talking about maybe a different Jack, but, uh, but you are this one too. Jack, be nimble. Jack, be quick. Jack grows the fire shake. So I wanted to throw that out there straight away. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, welcome back, Tao. And I actually believe that you kind of had a little suggestion for a place to jump off. I want to shout out Smot Poker. It sounded like uh, Dr. MJ uh, was talking to him over on Sundays and confused a little bit about uh, something that Tao brought up in the pre-show, which was the difference between overwatering and under oxygenating or not providing enough oxygen, essentially, to the plant. So I wanted to pass it to, I guess, Tao to preface it, and then maybe Dr. MJ could jump in and uh, we can go a little bit from there. Yeah, because I've experienced that. I call it too much love is overwatering, but 
the reality is we're not really overwatering. And when Doc said, yeah, when you grow in DWC, it's almost all water. But right. the real fail is that there's not enough oxygen in the media to keep the roots happy. So it's not truly overwatering. It's under aerating or under oxygenating. And that's what really struck home with me and made me think. And yeah, I'll let yeah. Dr. Uh, expand on all of that. So yeah, but it's really important to make, you know, make that difference. Yeah, all of the, the plant symptoms that we attribute to quote unquote overwatering are in, in reality a, a effect of lack of oxygen in the root zone um so that's what causes plants to like wilt for example and we were talking about this on small poker show this morning like a lot of soil growers will admit like you know right after i i water my plants um they'll wilt a little bit and and that may be lack of oxygen in the root zone when you've sort of squeezed it all out if there's there's no more air holding capacity um the, the other side of that is you know how long it's been since you've you've watered and sort of what you're watering with well oxygenated water that's how you're able to grow in dwc right it is you have well oxygenated water and the plants are able to take the the you know oxygen essentially right out of the water um and if you water frequently enough that's usually the case like plants with with well oxygenated water plants will get a lot of their oxygen directly from the water and in a lot of our sort of practices of, of really high frequency fertigation, they'll get almost all of their oxygen directly from the water because they're constantly getting sort of a new dose of well oxygenated water. One of the things that happens when you have media that doesn't drain well is that the, the water sort of becomes stale, stagnant water. It loses its dissolved oxygen oftentimes because the plant's taken it. Um, and, and then there's no more oxygen left and it's sort of they're submerged and, and you're in that hypoxic situation, which can be very sort of problematic for plants. It, it causes their roots to die um, and that causes plants to have to like sort of grow new roots. Um, and that's one of the reasons that you, you sort of end up having to be in a larger container oftentimes in, in different medias because of that process too. So I think that this is help, helpful, regardless of sort of the media that you're in, because, you know, there's some things that you may want to do differently with your water. Cold water will hold oxygen better, um, oxygenating it before you give it to, you know, your plants, even if, you know, you're mixing whatever it is. I mean, shake it up, make sure it's like about 68 degrees and shake it up and it'll get well oxygenated. Um, if it's warmer than that, maybe you're growing in a way that you don't think that kind of stuff matters, but it still does for the, the dissolved oxygen in the root zone. Um, so yeah, I think that I think that that is a, a helpful lesson. So I'm glad that that was helpful for you. I wanted to give a second now. Uh, that was a great explanation, Doc. I want to go ahead and welcome in Noah the Grower. How's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm knowing the girl on Instagram and, uh, happy to be here. How's everybody doing? Doing well. Happy to have you back. And I'm curious if anybody else on the panel has thoughts on the topic that we started off with, uh, which to bring Noah into the fold was kind of talking about the difference between overwatering versus the lack of oxygen in the root zone. So I'm curious if maybe Brandon, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So with my soil, it is a uh, highly porous. And I designed it that way. So that way you could fully saturate the soil without the soil being anaerobic. Yeah. 
and yeah, that's, a, that's what the HP blends are the the high porosity blends to try to get sort of good drainage and that, that'll do a lot of what sort of a media like cocoa does in that regard. So, so that's not my uh, that's accomplish? not my goal. My goal is definitely not drainage in these soils because I do not want any runoff because what happens if you're running off in a soil system that means you're losing the mineral nutrition which will offset you know, the balance that I, you know, have in place that is based off of the agronomic data that I collect. Um, so I have to design the soil in a certain way. So that way it is both uh, porous and retains water. And the way that we do that is by making sure we have enough organic matter in the soil and then enough aeration in, in the, in, with my soil, I like to use pumice because pumice, unlike perlite, doesn't float and it'll stay stationary in soil. Um, but also things with like the compost and peat, those things hold moisture pretty well on their own. Um, and then one of the things that we also use is a surfactant. Um, and that will help actually distribute moisture evenly. It makes water essentially wetter. And what it actually does is it breaks the surface tension of water. And so it can distribute actually mineral nutrition a little easier throughout that system. And that, that uh, you know, can help with mitigating any dry spots, which if you have dry spots in soil, uh, you get a spike in your EC in those areas. You could, it could cause things like osmotic stress or it could cause um, a higher amount of a nutrient that may need to be oxidized to be available. Things like that could happen. All good points. Um, I run also little to no runoff in an earth box because it's a sip. Any of that water that would run off is essentially reabsorbed back into the system. So making sure it's um, closer to that, like 35 or 40% aeration, I think is helpful, but also maintaining a pretty nutrient dense soil mix that you don't necessarily have to be adding lots of stuff back in on top of that. Brandon, what percentage of pumice do you add or? I'm at, um, I think I'm at 20. 27 percent pumice on my mix and then i think i have see i did my first mix was it had more i think it had a total of uh 33 percent and it was like i think it was like 23 percent pumice and then it was like 10 percent rice holes but i've since uh taken rice holes out uh, for right now, just until, because rice holes actually can contain a lot of arsenic. Um, and so when we're looking at total amount of arsenic in the soil from all the different in inputs, think about arsenic too, uh, real quick, is that it's just ubiquitous. It's everywhere and it's higher in industrialized uh, areas. And so like, I mean, I do extensive testing, but the products will still have arsenic, but it's being able to find things that have neg negligible levels, right? And so um, I, I stopped using uh, rice holes, even though I didn't, even though the rice holes I was using um, wasn't failing for arsenic. Uh, I just figured that it is, it's, it can be inconsistent, you know, with, with when, where people source. And so it's just one of the things that I eliminated just, just because uh to take away that potential um like threat you know one thing i'll say about rice hulls is if you're looking for a decent source jeremy at build a soil test everything for heavy metals i believe arsenic is a heavy metal um 
but I could be wrong. I do think that is correct, though. It is, and yeah. So he tested for to try and get pretty much non-detectable levels of arsenic or any of the other heavy metals, and yeah. I've used them. And it, the other thing I was going to say about less so the arsenic and more so, at least in my soil, they disappear after like one run. So of my third aeration, or it's a little bit more than a third, but I'll use like, let's say 33% of my soil is pumice. And then like maybe three or 5% is rice hulls. And I, it's mainly like a top dress and a little bit extra. adds a little bit of silica over time. But after every single run, when I transplant in, they're completely gone. So I just can't rely on that as like a steady aeration. I look at it as more yeah. of like a, almost yeah. like a, a slow release nutrient input and a small amount of aeration. Yeah, that's, that's one of the issues too, is like the cost for building the soil and adding the rice holes over the period of that soil's life, it doesn't, it, but the cost doesn't make sense simply because it's like such an added cost for something that's really only going to be there for a short period of time, you know? And then you yeah. can get silica from things like uh, wollastonite, which I already use for pH adjustment. So I'm getting calcium and silica from that. And then things like, you know, uh, other silica sources, maybe like agsil, if we're uh, using that instead of a potassium sulfate. So Brandon, are you saying that rice holes are basically like renting your aeration rather than just buying it outright and not fucking paying for it forever? Yeah. And so that was kind of one of the reasons why I decided to take it out because when we're doing cost, I, I do cost analytics on everything, just like I do analytics on um, like my cultivation side. I'm looking at like itemizing, you know, what it costs delivered to my shop for, you know, per 50 pound, or if I'm ordering bulk per ton, and then how much does it cost for the label, the package, the labor to get it up? And I itemize everything. So I know exactly what everything costs. And I do that with the soil too, because I want to create the, you know, I want to create the best product, but I also don't, but I also want to be able to beat out all my competitors on pricing. And so I've been able to do that by like, you know, with this type, you know, type of business practice to where I see soils that are like $495 a yard. I see soils that are uh, 380 a yard, 320 a yard, and I'm a hundred dollars, you know, like a hundred dollars cheaper than. Uh, most of the other people that are operating in the same space or the same quality of soils as me. And it's really just because of the, the, the you know, the breakdown in analytics that I do. So I want to pass the initial question back to Spartan Grown, which was talking about the difference between overwatering and not providing enough oxygen and just ask if you have any thoughts on that in general. And then maybe you can also comment on aeration levels and things like that or oh. inputs. My opinion is, is they're both bad. I don't know. Thinking about it either way is bad, in my opinion. Um, you could call it fucking over-radiation, but if you know that if I stop fucking putting that much water on my plant, that fixes the problem. Just let's correct the issue. I I appreciate the approach, and I think it's great to to bring it up so that it can people can wrap their heads around it in different ways, and I'm sure there's people that now understand overwatering and why it is uh, such a danger to the plant other than just saying you got too much water uh, to really explain it is awesome. And we need that for the understanding. And I love that. But in the end, it's, it's, it's still over water and you put too much fucking water on it. So don't do that. Well, it might not be. I mean, I guess that that's, that's kind of the point. Sometimes you'll see signs of, of quote unquote overwatering or hypoxia and lack of oxygen. 
but it's not because you're not giving or too much water. It's because you're not giving the right kind of water. The water that you're giving is not oxygenated enough. Or, you know, there's some change that you need to do to the media that you're growing in, maybe for the next run so that you can have sort of a better experience with that. So to be able to more thoroughly sort of diagnose what could be causing some of the problems, I I think it's a good insight. I think a few sessions ago, we, uh, I think I even brought it up. Somebody was saying something about, um, I I think it had to do with, uh, the uptake of nutrients or something like that and we were discussing how yeah exactly it's what we're really describing is suffocation not extra water it's it's uh lack of oxygen like you're saying um obviously like some pathogens can like attack roots and stuff or or they'll uh you know they'll colonize the xylem water channels and the plant will wilt you know because the water is just not getting to where it needs to go That's a good point. I want to pass it to Noah Ligroa and ask if you have any uh, thoughts or tips on this whole conversation of overwatering versus uh, lack of oxygenation in the water. And uh, yeah, go ahead, Noah. As a uh, as a grower myself, growing in soil my whole life, uh, it's always been kind of a touchy subject with me personally, just my own. Because so, like, I usually will put two two plants in our light. And so, and I usually have my light staggered so that I'm pulling them down every two weeks. So I got fresh pot, but, uh, I, I'll be lazy sometimes. And I'll know that those, those plants will only need like a third of a gallon, but gel is, you know, selfishly, I want to just make a gallon for that light. And, the, and so I'll, sometimes I'll leave a little bit less. Sometimes I'll let it run off and, uh, it's yeah, but, but overwatering is never going to be good. You're almost always better to take the approach of if you think the plant only needs a third of a gallon, only give it a third of a gallon. If you think it only needs a quarter of a gallon, you know what I mean? Give it a quarter of a gallon. If you don't think it needs a little bit, if it's a, if it's a clone, you don't think it needs a little bit, just give it a little bit. It just, you know, and you, as, as you do it, you just kind of get a feel for it. But I mean, it's, I definitely would recommend not overwatering. you know, that could be a big problem that can cause all kinds of problems. So. Definitely good advice there. And um, I have a few different directions that we could go. And uh, I think the first one will be more on the grow related side of things. I sent this video to a listener and I've used it as a reference a few times for people in the past. It's a Bruce Bugby video on uh, how to maximize cannabis yields. And one of the things that struck me kind of as most pertinent that I feel like showing off is I think he put like the nine uh, cardinal parameters, I believe that he referred to them as um, for plant health. And just kind of looking at them and, and discussing the importance of the different ones, I think is uh, maybe eye-opening because some of these things are overlooked easily. And uh, he just writes it up on a whiteboard and it's a pretty interesting presentation. I'm not gonna play the whole thing, obviously it's a 47 minute video, but um, I think it'll potentially lead people to go and check this out who haven't already and maybe rewatch it if they've already seen it before. Cause I think that it is a good bit of information and I really like how he breaks things down and uh, is practical about it. So I'm gonna go ahead and share screen here because I've got this YouTube video pulled up on another tab. Then we'll uh, maybe talk a little bit about this uh, video here, Maximizing Cannabis Yields with Dr. Bruce Bugby. And most of his research comes from the hemp side of things, but I'm just gonna pause it right here. And um, the top one is light, it's cut off, but we can, I'll just read uh, through them quickly. Light, temp, which is short for temperature, wind, humidity, CO2, 
And then you see this black line here that's representing the uh, plant going into the root zone and uh, describing the separation between temperature of the root zone and temperature of the environment above, obviously. And then water is one of the factors, oxygen is another factor, and nutrients are another factor. And uh, the very one up at the top, I probably already said this, but it is light. So I think that this is just a good place to sort of start from the base of understanding. We've sort of talked about the uh, Liebig's law of minimums. And if you don't have the minimum threshold met, I should probably keep sharing screen, but uh, then you're not gonna be able to essentially maximize your yield. And I think that those, I believe it is nine cardinal parameters are very important to take into consideration. And um, it's just a good reference point. So figure maybe that'd be a good topic of conversation to maybe dis discuss. And I'll pass it over to Brandon and ask maybe if uh, one of those parameters stands out to you more than any of the other ones that maybe doesn't get as much attention as you think maybe it should? Uh, for soil, definitely soil temperature, because the higher the temperature, the higher the mineralization of organic matter. Essentially, what that means is that you're going to release more of the mineral nutrition that is locked up in the organic uh, matter when you have higher temperatures. Uh, that being said, uh, that really only applies if there's ad adequate water because if there isn't adequate water, um, then that process will slow down, even if the temperature's high. And a, a good um, way to visualize that would be, you could have a nice desert, you know, it's got nice warm temperature, but it's dry. And so it's, it's the soil isn't very active or alive. So um, you, need, you need obviously the organic matter, that, but the, the temperature is gonna definitely have an effect on the cycling capacity. That's a good point. And often I uh, don't really hear it talked about, but I do see some people, I think the American one actually pointed this out to me a while ago. He takes his uh, laser temperature gun around his room and he'll shoot the pots with the gun. And he'll notice sometimes if one of the uh, soil temperatures is like a lot warmer or just off the rest of the room, there might be an issue with that plant. Either it's like got too much water or too little water or it's too dry. And uh, no, I guess the, pass it to actually, actually it was the leaves of plants. And if, uh, one of the plants happens to be needing water, that leaf will be hotter than all the rest. That's true. That yeah, because so, what yeah. happens is, is if there's not enough water, you know, the the plant's transpiration will cool that, that plant off. Yep. So oftentimes when you're using a laser temp to measure um, how hot that, that leaf is, it, it should always be uh, cooler than the yep. ambient temperature in the room. And that's how you know that that plant is... Uh, transpiring i was gonna ask jack uh and i have another comment uh what what was his uh range that he was shooting for in the soil and um as a motorcyclist i took a ride today and it is amazing when you go through a stretch of forest because what I, what's actually happening roots is taking up the cold water from the ground that's under, underneath and pulling up to the tree and the tree is evaporating it you it's amazing what different temperatures there are in a short amount of space yeah. um because of that effect and yeah that's yeah. that's what i used I, the infrared for was on the leaf temperatures yeah me so and I my girl were, were looking at a piece of property that's pretty heavily wooded and in that particular area it's like 10 degrees cooler than the rest of uh the area around it so it's generating its own kind of microclimate it really is amazing the comment that you made i guess Tal, would then refer to temp uh in 
the phylosphere or above the root zone, which um, can be indicative of things that maybe people wouldn't have expected before. So maybe if you do have one of those infrared or temp temperature guns, you can go around your room and put that to use and maybe realize before any other signs would indicate that the plant needs to be watered. So that's a great tip there. I guess I'll pass it to uh, Spartan Grown and ask if any of these nine parameters stand out as you as uh, maybe the most important or least talked about that is uh, beneficial. I think uh, the one that in my, I'll say this, in my experience, I think what isn't really discussed enough really, and I don't, cause I don't see it happening in even commercial grows is wind. The one on the top right is airflow. Like um, a lot of times you see, you can see the head growers that move are moving up from growing a home grow and going into to being a head grower and the head growers that have maybe had some facilities for a while and just the way air movement is being handled in a grow room, I think. Like if you still see the fucking oscillating fans on the side of the walls, that's already one thing to start to question unless there's some really badass fans. We actually, and this opened my eyes too, this was a, a, a one of those things that I never thought about. And it was a learning experience for me when I worked at Minton. And that was, they brought in, they were lucky enough to have and nearby was a company that they, all they did was fans. They made fans commercially and they get approached them and asked Minton if they could go in and take all these measurements inside the room when there are no plants, when there were plants, when there are different size plants, and then recommend changes and then be able to go back in and take all the measurements so they could show that, you know, their fans were, were better or whatever. And it was hey, awesome. There, there's a really cool device that um, Seattle Greg turned me on to. He's a guy that, that worked all the Northern Lights. Yeah. He sent me this. He sent me this YouTube video. I think it was uh, Cornell University. No, it wasn't Cornell University. It was, uh, that was a different one. Um, it was this company. And they they uh, they do like wind tunnel technology and like 3D mapping. And what this instrument is, it is a sensor that you can move around the room. And what it will do is it'll map out using like a wind tunnel sensor technology. And it will map out the whole airflow of the whole space on a 3D uh, like design. So that way you can actually measure. You yeah, know your airflow in all parts, but, and, it, but, and, it, and it'll show like a blue and red. Like there would be like no yeah. air movement in like the red spots of the room, and yeah. then like the blue would be like the highest movement air speed and stuff like that. It sounds similar, but the one that they were showing us wasn't 3D; it was 2D. But it fucking showed like the room, and you could see where you would see the movement as the fans oscillated. You could see the changes as they oscillated. Yeah. And you could see all the spots that weren't getting hit with shit. And you would think there was a lot and there wasn't shit. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's a really cool piece. Of that's where I started going on and on about all these shows about how it's better to search, you know, just like you, just like you mix a pot with a fucking big spoon is it's better to circulate the air the same way. It's more efficient. Spartan, that's a great comparison because I've often kind of reflected recently as I learned more about aerodynamics and hydrodynamics about how similar they actually are and stirring a pot of water and stirring a room full of air is actually more similar than a lot of people would think. So getting it going in one direction and using the, I mean, physics and the force of the previous air that's already moving, you want to work with the air, not against it. So every single time you have something moving against it, you're using more energy to keep it going. So essentially getting it in that cycle or cyclone, whatever you want to 
think of it as it is going to be more efficient overall and uh, keep their moving at a constant at, better rate. At the same time, there's an upper limit to how much air movement you really want to have too. You don't want to be creating a tornado in your grow room. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> right. So your you do want movement, you but too. you don't really want to be blowing the plants around too much. Yeah. I, I see, man, most of the time I see videos from home growers. I think their fans are, are sort of on their plants too hard. I see it in commercial facilities all the time. And I'm just like, whoa, dude, you're yeah, beating the I agree shit out that. of these plants. They're like, the we plant, can't figure out what, what the efficiency like, we have. And I was like, dude, you guys need to turn your fans down. That's what's yeah. happening. If your plant's like bending over because the fan is blowing on it so hard, I think it's too much. I think if it's if, got if a the little leaves bit of a are dance, flipping upside down and stuff like that when the, when the fan comes around. But I also agree with Spartan about, you know, it, a, a serious grow doesn't use an oscillating fan. I mean, that that's sort of my perspective at this point. So um, generally, and I, I remember saying this a few weeks ago, like if you think you need oscillation, you probably don't, you may need another fan, but, but just having your, your fan go back and forth is, isn't really going to be helpful. I think that's a very good point. And they're often one of the first uh, points of failure. And yeah. that's never a good thing to want to essentially have a planned obsolescence, a part that you essentially know is going to break at some point, you're going to have to replace. So, yeah. or maintain. And I remember like, being too hot, man. I remember visiting my grandparents back when I was a kid and it was like really hot and they didn't have air conditioner. And we had this stupid little oscillating fan and we'd be like sitting around the living room and you just like wait for the fan to like be blowing at you. And you get like that, like two seconds of like, oh, this is good. And then it'd be gone again. And you have to wait like eight seconds for it. And you'd be like, oh, okay. And then they'd be gone again. And that's like, that's what the plants are sort of dealing with. They like just leave them with the right amount of airflow the whole time. Yeah, I think it's uh, more of when people don't have necessarily the full setup just yet, and that's what they can afford to get at least a little bit of airflow on everything versus like some on a little bit and then none on the rest. So home growers make it worth work with what they can, I guess, in some cases. But um, I guess I want to pass it to Noah and ask if you see any of these nine. And I just skipped a little bit forward. So he added actually some like temperature ranges, humidity ranges, and other little descriptions. But if you see any of these nine that stand out to you as maybe under discussed and uh, not talked about, but important for one reason or another, or just something that you'd like to discuss out of the list. Are, are you talking well, to me now or somebody else? To Noah, passing it to oh, Noah. Yeah. Sorry, to Noah. yeah w wind is important. Um, the other one is temperature. Uh, I mean, you can get away with it with certain, and I'm just speaking from uh, you know, a hyper sodium situation. You know, I don't, I've never really used LEDs much, but, uh, heat's a big one you can get especially if you start getting heat and humid at the same time you can really start running into a lot of problems um and not even just the problems you would think of like powdery mildew you can really mess some stuff up in there and uh just it, it just becomes a magnet for different like pests and different things so i just really try and make sure my temperature temperature was like one of the main things that was hard for me to bring down when i first started you know expanding my room and you know, because you think a little like, you know, 12,000 BTU air conditioner is going to clean, uh, is going to cool down four lights. You're, you run into some problems there. So I would say temperature. I see. And then you hear, you know, you see people with CO2 and stuff and there's ways you can fight it. But uh, yeah, I think temperature is a pretty big one for me personally. Definitely a good one to touch on there. I'll pass it to Doc next and see if uh, any of these nine stand out to you as maybe under discussed or maybe more important than some people would give credit to? Um, root temp, I think, is something that I talk about a lot that I don't think a lot of people talk much about the difference between sort of air temp and, and root temp. 
or water temp. Um, so sort of understanding that. And I guess the comment that I would want to make about this is you generally don't want the roots to be more than 10 degrees colder than the, the plants or than the air temperature, um, because that can lead to, to shocking the roots. It, oftentimes we would rather be able to use colder water because colder water can hold more oxygen, but there's a limit to how much colder you can make it um before it it sort of shocks the roots and upsets the plants and that's about 10 degrees fahrenheit colder than the air temperature so um, it seems like a happy medium i guess then could be like 68 water temp 78 room temp that's why we say yeah 68 is is because it's like 10, 10 degrees cooler than you know where a lot of growers are running in the high 70s exactly um and it's kind of tight in those parameters. If you get much hotter, I don't know that it's going to really shock your roots terribly by continuing to water at 68. But if you go a lot cooler than 68 with your water temperature, I think that does sort of adversely affect the plants. Um, going much warmer than that really drops the dissolved oxygen content. So, you know, there's there's a, a limit there. And that's why I end up talking about sort of the water temp or the root temperature more, because if you're really trying to dial things in, you're going to be sensitive to that. Um, I, I would also say the thing that drives this whole thing is, is light coming down from the top, right? So that's still going to be basically your gas pedal in, in this whole sort of machine. All the rest of that stuff is, is clearly important, but the light is providing the, the energy ultimately to, to power all of the growth. That's a good point. I, uh, I just was fighting the heat this year a little bit and I switched from thousand watt to 600 watt and man, I noticed it big time and not just where you would think just like in production wise, but also in like, I, I swear in like trichome production, like, man, yeah. The difference between 600 and 1,000 was, I mean, more than 40%, I thought. Yeah, going up in, in light, you mean? Yeah, going back up. But, you know, it was the opposite. I was going down. I went down in light, and I noticed it dramatically. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, man. but you were probably so, but, dealing with better temperature ranges there. Yeah, I was dealing with better temperature ranges. But it, to be fair, I almost think it was – I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to sacrifice it and, and from 72 and get up into the 75, 76 range because uh, the the, the drop-off was just so noticeable. Yeah. yeah. Noah, no. do you take a, a laser gun into your room ever? Because I know, like, HPS does some funny stuff with uh, the thermometers and stuff, and I know you can kind of play small around the room to get a better idea. But oh, oftentimes yeah. I've I found the laser gun – gives me one reading versus like what the ambient thermometers will read i've played around with everything um you just kind of get a feel for it but i mean obviously there's a lot more scientific ways to do it like you said i have i have two different ones i have like a cheap one i have like a more expensive one that i bought and like i was using it back in the day when i was you know making hash and stuff so i've used those temp guns and a few different things but yeah, you know, there's a lot you can do in, in those rooms. And uh, the, you're right. Uh, you'd be surprised how one, because where the thermometer is going to be sitting could be in a completely different spot away from the heat. And when you got airflow, it's, yeah, it, it, it definitely does help to give you more of an accurate number. It is definitely. I'm going to bring up was... one more thing with the water temperature because it is so fucking important. But I'm going to pull on my buddy Matthew here to help me out here. But 
I'm pretty sure too that not only for the reasons that Doc's talking about is the temperature important, but also for pathogens and fungus, the water temperature is important. So if you if you're letting yeah. the water temperature get really warm, you're really playing with fire. Yeah, I mean it's related. It's both related to the dissolved oxygen, but yeah, low dissolved oxygen will help nasty things grow in your water. Yeah, I was just going to mention to test your thermometers, if, if you get a glass of ice water, as much ice as you can fit, it should read about 33, 34 or close to that. Because with, yeah, cheap thermometer, infrared, there's settings you could do too on some yeah. of them. So the, the temp guns that. are tough because of the emissivity. Different right. objects will yeah. emit heat differently. Um, so if it's designed to sort of be measuring a metal object, that's going to emit heat a lot differently than like plant matter will um, versus like even the the media or the the pot that you're shooting. All of these things need to be calibrated a little bit for these infrared guns. I mean, you get close, but it's it's not super accurate if you're measuring a bunch of different types of surfaces with the same infrared gun. I wanted to uh, pass it to Matthew and see if any of these nine maybe stand out from an IPM perspective as being maybe more or less important or uh, under-discussed. I definitely think we, we've all already pretty well and thoroughly went through what I also think is the most common thing that people don't talk about, which is soil temperature, uh, perhaps even water temperature. Um, but, and we did also talk about wind or airflow quite a bit, uh, which I think also is a little bit underrepresented as well. Most people do recognize the importance of nutrients and uh, temperature and humidity. But um, I guess because a lot of people maybe don't, you know, know this about insects and fungi and all kinds of stuff like that. But in case you don't, um, temperature does play, air temperature in this case, um, a, a really massive role in the development of all kinds of organisms. And stereotypically, it's the hotter it is up to a certain point, the faster the development. So the quicker that the life cycles will sort of cycle through, um, like with insects, for example, right? Um, and then for other organisms, you know, or for the same organisms, rather, um, you know, if it cools down, that life cycle sort of stretches out and takes longer uh, different stages to a point. Some organisms, you know, so like insects, for example, they're going to have a very, a pretty good range that they can operate at. Like some of these really pestiferous ones, like thrips and stuff, um, you know, you can get the temperature down way lower than you really would want to typically. Um, and they'll still kind of eke out their existence. Um, so that could be kind of surprising, I suppose, for some people. Yeah, definitely. It's good to know your enemy and uh, realize that might not be the solution there. And one thing, uh, temperature, we talk often in um, Fahrenheit. And actually, the reason I sent this to somebody is because it had references in Celsius, because they're actually not in the US, like most of the rest of the world uses Celsius. So uh, 77 is 25 Celsius and 86 is 30 Celsius for anybody out there who's listening. Those are the temper ages that he's recommending. I believe that's like veg as well as flower, depending on the type of plant you're growing and everything, CO2 levels and all that. But um, the 68 is just a little bit above, 68 being the highest oxygen dissolved in the water is a little bit above 25 Celsius for anybody out there who's listening who uses that particular scale. Because I know that's actually a lot of you as we've got lots of uh, 
international listeners. So with that said, we've actually got a question from Grunt Grown. Tao copied over to the chat for me. He says, I posted questions about 30 minutes ago, if you wouldn't mind scrolling up, basically what causes the one to three uh, fan leaves other than re-vegging and can it be fixed? Um, I don't know if that's necessarily how that happens all the time. Leaf morphology is a, a finicky thing. Would you like to maybe elaborate a little bit more? Well, as much as I can, you know, I know that uh, I often get into conversations with people talking about like leaf morphology being linked to other traits when it's not like the whole, you know, narrow leaf dominant, broad leaf dominant, sativa indica stereotype, that kind of a thing. Um, being trifoliate, I don't think it's linked to other traits, I guess is kind of my point. And I'm not sure with well, revenging, I could only imagine that's a hormonal thing. I'm curious to hear what other people say. I think I remember reading this question. It sounded like, like the plant had been growing normally with, I don't know, five, seven, nine finger leaves. Uh, something happened to it. And, and now it's producing like weird one and three finger leaves or up to three finger leaves. And maybe so I've got the question here. I scrolled back up, grunt grown tagged us. I said, I've asked Jack about this on IG before, but could the panel talk about reveg morphology? In right. And then they said, I'm seeing it grow in my grow one to three blade fan leaves more likely due to hot and humid environment. Right. And then they followed up or somebody else followed up. They followed up and said, buds are actually turning out great, but I hate to see the plants looking this way when I know it's not normal. And um, to comment on that, just real quick. I know it, who this is. <laughs> you, you said, you know who this is? Yeah. And I know what plant it is. It's one of my plants. I think what he was talking about, if I'm not mistaken, is that the, the plant itself is expressing the characteristics of a reveg. However, the clone stock, and this is the first time I'd ever seen this too, because he showed me the symptoms and said, and I said, oh, that's a reveg, classic symptoms. He's like, yeah, but here's the deal. These things were not cut in flowering. So something's happening, maybe chemically or hormonally with the plant where they're growing where like they almost kind of always want to be flowering a little bit. It's grunt grown to be clear. He has followed up and yeah. said the plants yeah, had five. Plant too. Yeah, it's <laughs> called a banana. It's a banana daddy, and it started I, yeah. at the end of July. Fucking started flowering, just what you're describing, Brandon. And fucking, it's still is doing three blade leaves, and it was planted as a fucking clone in like I can't remember. It was June or something we planted that thing. So it was vegging like a regular plant, doing normal. And then all of a sudden, end of July, it decides to start doing that. So that's what I was thinking. It was some kind of a reveg, but it doesn't look like a reveg. It's just strange. I will endorse the fact that I think that significant stress could cause plants to, to respond like this. And yeah, significant stress like could come from, from heat. Other than that, there was like no, the plant looks super nice. I mean, not over, but looks perfect green, looks happy even at like praying leaves but just we got like some more info just to give you guys some context yeah, before yeah. we go further on the answers it says the plants had five leaf fan blades classic pot leaf summer got hot and humid plants are now mid-flower buds look great and have weird leaves as doc is describing and then they follow up and say these traits are in both flowering plants and the cuts that i took months ago and he says can it return to normal with improvement of environment i would say yes to that 
because well, wait, he, he says something else. He's like, this is all of my cultivars, not, not just one variety. Brandon's is one of them, but he's saying this is mm. happening to all of his cultivars. I would imagine there's got to be some hormonal stuff. I would like to know Makes more about think, is he in soil or cocoa. I doubled, I doubled. You know, I was timer. also, <laughs> I was also thinking, timer. let's go uh, on the lack of let, let's let Brandon, let's let Tao go for a second and then I'll have you go right after him. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, yeah, I would like when I see that, I check the timer right away, but some plants i've had plants do that and some plants when they get root bound they do that but it might be just like stress like the same but when you give them back to a good home and a good environment they'll they'll come back to the five leaves and then yeah, yeah go from there that's my that was my take i agree i think this is definitely stress-based if it's happening to salt root cultivars yeah every single yeah, plant I agree. and it's coming with the heat and the humidity i mean it seems kind of obvious to me at that point that it's the plants aren't happy whether, whatever it is, you know, the heat, the humidity, something is wrong. Uh, you can't say it's genetic when it's 10 genetics all doing the same thing. Right. It's clearly not looking healthy. Otherwise, he would well, be I would say it's genetic. Well, it could so be a concerned case, genetic response, case, I suppose. <laughs> growing in the same environment and not doing it. Although um, I, you know, might, I, I don't know if I would agree that it's like, quote unquote, bad or not good or whatever, because you know it especially if the results that you're getting are what they are um, there's no pests or pathogens that could cause that kind of response right matthew i mean the thing is that like there are organisms that can like you know do funky things to like plant hormones or whatever sometimes it's to the you know like the pest benefit um sometimes it's just a weird byproduct right uh, but, but when i think of things like that it's usually a pretty significant kind of change not i wouldn't i i don't really think there's anything that i could think of that would really be a, um causing kind of a mild effect like this it was always possible that something that's normally major like a witch's broom kind of pathogen like a phytoplasma but yeah you know i don't uh i feel like because of the extra context it makes me think that especially if it all happened around the same time yeah i think it's yeah. heat primarily i don't think this is light Based. I think a lot of people just like to put heat and light together as though they're always sort of the same kind of stress, but I don't, I don't think light would make you start growing leaves with fewer blades on them. But I, I do think that heat stress might be able to provoke that. I ran into a similar problem once and it, it had to do with me overcrowding my plants. So there's another, and that's obviously stress related too, but yeah. not having enough room to grow. Yeah. I mean, and on top of that, yeah, root stress. Certain genetics do. One of the things that that hasn't been mentioned though is nutrition, because again we come back to if if it is something that's being expressed over the entirety of of the cultivar species, then or uh, of all the different varieties that are in there, um, you know. But it was it a could, sudden change, so like, yeah, that would Spartan, imply I that to hear the, the nutrient would change suddenly. With the new mic, Mike Spartan, you're a little quiet. You've tried to jump in like five times. I got cut off every single time. So I'd just like to hear what you have to say. That's okay. Uh, I was just saying in the situation that I, in one of the outdoor spots, we have a banana day that's doing it. And there's 11 other plants in there. Yeah, they're different cultivars, but they're all in the same environment. So to me, that rules out environment and tells me it's genetics. But or we're not talking about your situation here. We're talking about this grunt grows. But I'm just saying that you get what you guys are describing sounds like the exact same situation that this that I'm sitting seeing. Right. But I think that we can admit that it could be both cultivars. 
it could be both oh. genetic and it could also be stress or environmental related. Like yeah. in his case, if it's happening to every single one, it's more likely the environment. In your case, because it's just one plant, all of them in the environment are the same, only the one plant's doing it. I'd be more likely to think it's genetic because certain stuff like you said, banana daddy, I think that there's an OG in there somewhere and OGs have been known to throw the three leaf trifoliate, whatever you want to call it. There's also yeah. auto flowers. If you look at like some of the advertisements, they literally just have like a little three leaf uh, thing. Or when you see like the indica uh, sativa ruderalis, like the old description, it's always with a three leaf thing from an auto flower. So it could be that. I think that hormones do, like we see with kelp, it does this on the opposite end where we get mm -hmm. like 13, 15, 16 finger leaf and like buds growing out of the center of your leaf. And so whatever the opposite end of the kelp spectrum is for hormones, maybe it could be reverting back to that because certain stressors like heat maybe is blocking off whatever would uh, kelp would provide. Um, does anybody know what it is that kelp? It's, it's some sort of a plant growth regulator. I don't know the exact name of it. Well, um, I think there's a few different ones, maybe gibberellins, maybe. Yeah, it's got a bunch. Gibberellins is one of them. Yeah, we can classify a lot of plant Outside hormones of either gibberellins well, or as auxins, though, so that doesn't really <laughs> say much. No, I suppose not. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I feel like the idea that a heat stress reaction, you know, kind of bears out based on that context. But, you know, it's a confluence of factors, really, in, in the real life. And my question you know, it's whenever I, you know, hear stories like this, I do think it's kind of interesting. You know, I wonder why something like that kind of happens in the first place. Like, like, sure, maybe it's a hormonal thing or the, the heat is, you know, causing some sort of like maybe an expression that normally happens at a certain temperature not happen. That happens a lot in, uh, in various contexts. But like, uh, you know, why three leaves? Why not two leaves or one leaf or, um, you know, four? Or something like that. I just think that's kind of a, it's just interesting. And it makes me wonder if that stress response might also have some, you know, uh, hidden benefits that we're not aware of as well. But uh, that's just all speculative. Like in a hotter environment, for example, if you have less fan leaves, then they're less likely to be overlapping on each other. So they're not going to be, you know, uh, having that trouble uh, perspiring or transpiring because the leaf on top of the leaf is causing, uh, you know, water to build up. That could be just one of many reasons, but I, I would say like from my experience, the times that I've seen something like that happen, um, I think that the plant, it's so rare that it grows one leaf. It's like only when it's a seedling that you'll see one leaf for, for the most part, unless it's, there's some clones that I see throw off one leafers, but um, I feel like three leaf is maybe easy enough for the plant to put out. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's got the one like upright and then the two out to the side. And for whatever reason, it just under a certain amount of stress, maybe it can only produce a certain amount of fan leaves. And, but you know, there's... I'm, I'm not to interrupt, sorry. I'm just reminded that uh, the basal cannabases, uh, the Afinantha genus, or at least that we know of, um, and it only has like one leaflet or like it doesn't have groups like we, we, we see in cannabis, for example. So I wonder if it's like a ancestral trait or primitive trait or something close to that. Anyways. That could be it. And the other thing in kelp was cytokinins, which I thought of, but I thought because I heard that in other uh, non-cannabis related topics that maybe it couldn't be right. And then sure enough, Google uh, corrected me when I Googled what uh, hormones are in kelp that promote branching. Cytokinins was one of the things that popped up as well. Um, so maybe heat could like lead to a lack of those hormones being able to be uptaken. Because I know that happens with lots of other stuff in the plant, like nutrients 
and uh, water, for example, if it gets too hot, we were just talking about dissolved oxygen in the water. I should have brought up, I was trying to find it, as you saw me, uh, whoever's watching on the YouTube, frantically uh, looking around the dissolved oxygen page, there's a little graph and it actually has like a little peak window and like 68 is like right in the middle of the peak window. And it's like kind of, it's like a little scale where it goes up or like down, depending on which one you're looking at. But there's a pretty yeah. golden area and 68 is right in the smack center of that. I'd be interested to see uh, more like Matthew, what you're talking about with the, um, what's it called? The one finger fan leaf um, basal cannabaceae because uh, yeah, I actually didn't, like, I wasn't aware of that because. Well, uh, yeah. And it's like, um, I mean, if you get more leaflets, you, you know, you got more chlorophyll, you got more photosynthesis happening, right? Like at least at a certain level. So there's obviously benefits to having more photosynthetic tissue, like doing its thing at once. Um, of course, you know, overgrowth can be a downside and that kind of a thing. Um, and, um, what else? Would, well, yeah. And I, I guess like maybe, and maybe high heat just turns off the, you know, uh, sort of doesn't allow for the expression of certain things to happen in the, um, the tissue. Of course, I'm being very super vague with that. Cause I don't really know the dynamics myself, but. Well, one thing it shuts possible. down is photosynthesis. When it gets too hot, photosynthesis just doesn't stop. So if it's not photosynthesizing as much, then maybe we could theorize it's not going to want to make as many fan leaves or or more new fan leaves if it's struggling to do it with the ones that it's got already. If yeah, it's struggling, I think that that's probably the key point. Like if the plant is struggling, it, it's going to sort of downshift a little bit, right? Um, plants always start with one, one serrated leaf and then three serrated leaves and then sort of five or more. And, and usually you won't start to see like nine or 11 fingered leaves until the plant is, is pretty mature and, and very healthy. Um, you usually won't see a nine or 11 finger leaf on a, a plant that's not sort of very healthy. So I'm, I'm thinking there's just a general relationship there. Something happens, especially something heat related happens to the plant. It might sort of like, you know, downshift essentially and, and revert to a, a safer form of growing. That's interesting. I was reading an, an article about, um, you know, some of the many strategies that plants use to sort of, uh, you know, when there's too much sun to kind of like offset that and the, the yeah. they call it, they use really cool uh, terminology like photon quenching and yep. using different uh, um, you know pigmentations and things in some cases as like extra electron you know um, carrier might not be the right word but like you know to catch that that free energy and keep it from you know burning up damaging everything. the plant yeah exactly. yeah exactly playing with the original fire <laughs> yeah because if the plant can't sort of harness it, it, it's just basically burning the plant or doing damage to the plant. Um, just as, you know, too much sun will do damage to your skin. Not exactly the same, but. Same Some of the responses are interesting. Like you'll see the uh, leaves sort of like taco up to maybe prevent getting as much light or they'll droop down um, yeah. or they'll fold are up like this to try and protect themselves. Like I've seen all three of those yeah. things. And, and the plant will do other things that you can't see, like shifting around, you know, nutrients and shifting around sort of its allocation of, of photosynthesis, essentially, um, to try to regulate that and to take maximum advantage of that when you really start pushing at the plant with light. Yeah, I actually witnessed the, uh, 
this group of plants out in the woods. It was hot as hell. The sun was out and they were all drooping and they were well watered though. I'm like, what the fuck? So, but I was there doing stuff for a pretty long time and the cloud cover came in and like probably about 20 minutes after the cloud, it was like real, it was going to rain. Yeah. After that cloud cover came in, all those plants perked up and were like almost praying by the time I walked away. I was really yeah. astounded by by witnessing that whole thing. Yeah, plants, this is absolutely something that plants are evolved to be able to deal with is excessive light. Because, um, you know, ideal photosynthesis happens like at much lower density of light than what the sun can produce. So during the noonday sun, when plants are sort of getting roasted by the sun, they're doing a lot of things to sort of avoid being super saturated. Um, and these photo protection measures that they go through by lowering their leaf angle, reallocating nutrients, um, you know, changing the way that they're, they're orienting. And plants will do that every single day in response to the sun. And a lot of people have asked me, like, why aren't they just sort of tuned to be able to use that 2000 micromoles of density? Why do they, you know, why are they tuned to only use like 500 or 700 micromoles of density? And like, if they were tuned to use 2000, then they would very rarely be efficient, right? Because yes, it's only going to hit point. 2000 every once in a while on a bright, clear day in the middle of the day. And if like, that's the only time that you're being efficient as a plant then you're screwed, right? You gotta be sort of more efficient in an, a bigger variety of lighting situations. And that's gonna mean that you kind of have to avoid some of the excessive light during the noonday sun. Now, plants growing outdoors can like pull that off for a couple hours each day. Um, but if you're starting to blast your plants in the tent, you know, all the time, with too much light from the time the light comes on to the time it goes off, that's when you're really gonna start to see those issues crop up with, with light damage. It's a great point. And I also like the point they made earlier about the fan leaves and the higher number on healthier plants is pretty common. And the point that you just made about being efficient, if you can only use it at the you know max for X amount of time, it kind of makes me think of like, a Bugatti like going through a school zone like you got all this potential energy but it's not really able to use it so it's more of a <laughs> right you know, so you're never going to evolve a Bugatti if you're always driving through school zones right you're going to evolve right. a Toyota or something right that's like more more practical for that yeah I, I mean, was just thinking about how like the how engine efficiency right when it's funny that you mentioned that because I was thinking about engines and cars and stuff like you know we think I think for some period of time perhaps a long while ago i don't even remember but like 55 was actually like the efficiency that a lot yeah. of engines were in it but nowadays it's actually that's higher. why they set the speed limit there in the 70s right in okay, the oil crisis right, yeah. and they set the speed limit at 55 um because it was the point of sort of maximum efficiency mm -hmm. that is a very yep. interesting point and uh i think it's actually a good moment for us to transition a little bit this is going to be a little less grow related but it's also cannabis related so just giving the chat a little bit of a heads up but uh i think sometimes it's nice to kind of go a little bit away from the grow side of things and get a little bit more personal in our own cannabis journeys and i think a simple question that we could all go around and answer however quickly or uh, uh long you would like to take spartan i guess you just fixed your audio so i'm going to pass it to you first hopefully we'll see if it's uh, all fixed up but what was it that initially drew you to cannabis Oh, that's easy for me. The, the uh, dreamy cannabis was uh, the medicine that cannabis provided. Is my audio better? 
Okay. It is. Yeah, I can hear you really well now. Um, and that's, I, I've told the story before, so I'll just gloss over it, but my uncle was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer and uh, I grew cannabis for two years before I ever even smoked it myself because of my cannabis, I was growing, um, I was a caregiver. So uh, I was growing for other people. And uh, that's what, you know, drew me to it first. Well, that's actually why I asked what drew you to cannabis. Cause I mean, everybody, uh, not everybody has that caregiver experience, but like personally, like as an individual. Oh, actually, I saw what it did with my uncle. Yeah. That was, that was no, I, I mean, that's a, it's a great, it's eye opening. When, you know, when the hospital and the doctors sent him home and said, we can't help you. And then cannabis still, you know, said, no, nah, no, you, yeah, you can, <laughs> you know. No, that's powerful. My uncle-in-law had a similar situation and it's, uh, I'm glad that you're able to share because so many people out there may still look at it a certain way. And uh, I think it can be informative what got each of us into it. And then I guess uh, the follow-up to that would be, do you still use it today for the same reasons that you used back then or has it changed or evolved in any way for you? Yeah, I, find, I, think, I would say... Um, so cannabis really opened my eyes to plants as medicine. Um, and that evolved to not only cannabis, but uh, medicinal herbs. And then from medicinal herbs to the vegetables that we eat, because the food that we eat is really a medicine of our body as well. And so I'm kind of a plant lover, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, because of that, uh, I've, I've grown to know, know cannabis more and, and deeper and find uh, different uh, cases or ailments that I may have that I found that it helps for. So I use it more frequently than I did then. Um, but uh, less recreationally, I'd say, than I did then too, because once I first experienced it, it was fucking recreational because I didn't have a huge, a lot of medical issues myself at the time, but I loved fucking getting high. That felt great. It was, I guess it's still medicinal for the stress relief aspect of it, of uh, to being able to wind down at the end of the day. It was like the perfect thing. So I think that would be, yeah, I think that's how I'd answer that question. That was very well answered, honestly. And I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious because I was thinking a little bit about it myself today. Uh, I saw my wife actually sent me like a TikTok and it talked about, they're like, when I first started using cannabis, it was like to have fun and like get high. And now I use it to like not want to murder a motherfucker. Like I'm on my way to work, you know, whatever it is, like just like calm down and like be, be relaxed. And I thought it was just funny to examine like how it's changed. And there were some other things that kind of uh, came into it because I think everybody's uh, maybe needs and things might change over time, but I want to pass it next to Noah Lee Groa and ask what was it that initially drew you to cannabis? What initially drew me to it? I've been thinking about that since you asked it, but what initially drew it to me was uh, the social aspect. Um, I grew up and uh, I was homeschooled, so I didn't have like a real social, you know, thing. I was trying to really kind of find myself as a, as a teenager, 16 years old. And, um, was meeting girls and just meeting people. And it was just the whole experience of it. You know, when you had back in the day that, you know, I'm 43. So you're talking almost 30 years ago, you know, it was, you did not everybody just had good weed all the time. And if you had good weed, like you were almost just kind of like a superstar, like you show up and then it was the whole experience. Like everybody try and throw up, throw down and you, you know, put it on a, a blunt or a joint and just everybody was just hanging out. And it were just new people you would meet. So it was a huge social thing. And then it started kind of to evolve for me. Just it's constantly evolving. Critical thinking. Like I really, I'm, I'm kind of a guy that likes to think outside the box. It really opened my mind to let me, you know, think like, you know what I mean? Like I would just see stuff that I thought was fake. And then I would think, well, if they say that the, if the news is fake, how messed up is our history? 
and I would just open my mind to thinking outside the box, not just thinking what everybody was told. And then I had shoulder surgery when I was 24, rotocuff surgery. And I had been, seen people that were on pain pills. And so I immediately knew I wasn't going to do that. Got my medical card, went down that path, and it really helped me get through that shoulder surgery. So it, it's definitely evolved for me over the years. And um, it's been a part of my life since I was 16. And uh, now I have it tattooed on my body. And it's just, it, it's, it's, a, it's a lifestyle for me, for sure. And uh, a majority of the people that I know, too. I think it's a pretty healthy lifestyle. If you ask me, I was talking a little bit on a different show about how it can steer people away from maybe more harmful stuff, like uh, some heavy pharmaceuticals, if they can avoid needing them or alcohol or tobacco in some circumstances, which might be just a little bit more damaging on the body long-term. And uh, it's funny. You talked about how the social aspect and how it could kind of like almost make you like the man on the, in, in the town, you know, if you had good weed when there was none around, there's a guy by the name of Champelli. He's uh, kind of coming back onto the scene recently, but he used to sell like or back to the rappers kind of in the early days, the 90s and 2000s. So like Snoop Dogg and some of the other guys, um, they'll reference like Champelli in some of these songs. And there's even videos of him smoking with them in the studios and stuff back in the 90s. So it's uh, cool to see him coming back onto the scene a little bit and getting some of that uh, cred, because if you've been around with good weed for a long time, people know. And That's awesome. Good reputation to have. <laughs> and I think uh, Noah the Grow is probably that guy in his local spot for sure, with at least his uh, his crowd there. So it's a good skill to have. I, I, I was, I was definitely was. I, I I knew a few growers when I was young. I met and uh, I've just been really good at meeting people. And uh, man, I could I was didn't have a lot of money. You know, I was 16 years old. I was working at McDonald's. I would uh, I would get a half ounce and I would take in a cellophane or whatever I could. All these little containers, I'd take like a half a gram and put it up. And I knew that when I went over to my friend's house, I was going to bring that and I would always have the best weed. And they would be like, oh, shit, Noah's here. We're, you know what I mean? And even that half a gram to a bunch of you know high school kids, it was a really cool experience. And it's it's kind of funny talking about it because, you, you know, it was so taboo back then. And even just now, I've been more comfortable talking about some of my experiences. Like, I mean, I was known as like the, the grungy stoner kid in the neighborhood. And, you know, I had long hair. Yeah, it's just funny thinking back about it. Yeah, man, it's uh, times have definitely changed. And I think a little bit for the better, for sure, with uh, us being able to be more open, at least that's for sure. So I want to pass it next to Dr. MJ and ask um, what initially drew you to cannabis? Oh, let me unmute my mic. That might help. Um, it's definitely my my favorite intoxication, right? It's like being high. I, I don't drink alcohol anymore. And I don't, I'm not into like other drugs, but I like to get high. I mean, I've always sort of really liked to get high. Um, and I gave it up for a while when I was in college. And it's when I started going to grad school, I gave it up for a few years. And then I sort of brought back to it. I've told the story a lot because my, my rheumatologist um, recommended it for me when my insurance wouldn't continue paying for the other medicine that I was taking. Um, and uh, that was sort of an interesting experience to me because I went from thinking about cannabis as basically being something that was kind of like dragging my life down. And it was something that I needed to give up if I wanted to be successful or wanted to like, you know, finish grad school and stuff like that to recognizing that it's something that probably had been helping me a lot during my life. And I had sort of underappreciated it in, in a lot of ways. 
Um, and so that, that changed like my relationship with, with cannabis quite a bit. And then the other, I think for most of us, this has got to be somewhat true, but the big thing that changed my relationship with cannabis was no longer having to pay for it. Um, growing my own and being sort of able to, to take control of that supply has sort of removed like the financial considerations from like, you know, how I use cannabis. Um, so that's a huge deal. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's like you talked about, deal. it was dragging you down and it's emptying your wallet. So it's like, oh, this feels like a bad habit. It's expensive. Maybe it's yeah. like some of the stereotypes that we get thrown at us as like stoners making you this or that. I won't even go into that, but some we all kind of subliminally have those in the back of our mind and don't want to rise to that occasion, right? And, and live up. Oh, to I remember so clearly reason. thinking because I finished my undergraduate degree up in Northern California, where like cannabis was common and available, and I was enjoying a lot of it. And I remember really clearly having this like little sort of conversation with myself, like when I'm going off to grad school now, and I got to be serious, I'm gonna have to like quit smoking pot. I want to be able to like, you know, focus on my studies and all these things. And um, really, I mean, I mean, I remember like that kind of thought process that I was having. And, and just thinking back to that really makes me think about how much my attitude and sort of relationship with cannabis is, has turned around because now it's absolutely something that I enjoy. And, you know, I mean, it, it's something that I, I teach people about and it's become um a big sort of positive aspect in terms of both my productivity and what I kind of think about as my career um so it's it's interesting yeah for it's, sure it's definitely amazing how it can change throughout our lifetimes like our use of it the society around it and uh just our, our place in this particular community that it can even become a thing like before 20 years ago this wasn't necessarily a thing so uh, maybe we wouldn't have even been able to think about it in this way. And like you talked about um, growing like maybe other things, like it has got me into growing um, more like food. I grew wheatgrass for my cats or little fruit and vegetables or peppers here and there. And like I, my wife just found a plumeria that we rooted and I told a little bit about that story, but it's planted now and it's growing and it's about ready to get transplanted into a new pot. So it's like, I'm not just growing cannabis flower, I'm growing plumeria flower. And it's a fun experience. Like it, it does feel a little bit like you're leveling your life up with these experiences, you're learning more about it, uh, how to source maybe good food, why organic things might matter in that category. And it's very eye-opening. And I can relate to everything that you guys have all said so far in a little bit of a way to myself, but I wanna pass it next to Matthew Gates and ask the same question I asked everybody else, which is what was it that initially drew you to cannabis? Maybe he's away from the computer. I hope he's muted. Or can't find the mute button, but. Sorry, there was an audio issue. Oh, no worries. That's my bad. Uh, but yeah. My bad, actually. Okay, so what um, was it that initially drew you to Canvas? You know, it was, it was, uh, I was, the first time that I tried was not the first time that I was ever offered. Actually, multiple times in my life, I rejected uh, offers uh, for various reasons didn't necessarily like the people who were offering or, um, you know, I just wasn't really in the mood to be trying it for the first time, for example, uh, even my best friend uh, multiple times, a very respectable, very respectful guy. But, you know, he was like, 
yeah, he would offer a few times throughout our very long history together. But anyways, eventually, um, you know, I was in a sort of social gathering and that was uh, sort of intimate and it was um, enjoyable. And, you know, I, I definitely empathize with the like sort of ritual perspective uh, like with cannabis, you know, I really like reading the like anthropological accounts of like, you know, like bronze braziers that, you know, they would put the cannabis in and it would smoke up the whole area and, and ostensibly you'd have shamans or other sorts of people, various, um, you know, cultural um, upbringings, you know, doing different things with cannabis. And uh, because of it's sort of like, you know, effects that, that we're all very familiar with, um, you know, it's very special in that way. I mean, even, you know, you even look at things that a lot of people in the West consider very benign, like coffee, for example, you know, but like, if you take a stimulant or something like that, um, you know, it has some very profound effects, right, that you definitely notice. And um, I also feel like, um, you know, it has some sort of a creativity boost, or even like, this is kind of a weird um, comparison, I think, to people, or people might think, but, like, uh, I'm reminded of how, like, like, in the old Western days of, like, you know, like, colonial America or something, like, you know, when people would be traveling long distances, you know, they'd have, like, tobacco on them or something like that, because, like, you're traveling long distances with, like, kind of nothing to do, no Game Boys, no Nintendo Switch, no PSPs, uh, to be playing. Um, and like the idea that like even more ancient times, you know, like you're just kind of like rucking it and, you know, you want to have a little pick me up, something that let, like kind of takes the edge off and lets you kind of travel or do whatever you're doing without like totally dis discombobulating you. And I, I think that's kind of a neat aspect of, of cannabis, um, personally speaking, that and the fact that there's like thousands of years of history of people using it for that and other uses, I think is, uh, it's just really cool to, to recount, I think. Yeah, the history aspect of it is definitely admirable. And I'm learning more all the time about different cultures, how they used it, uh, the in different ingestion methods, like some of the ones that you mentioned are kind of fun to think about. I haven't uh, yet been able to participate in any of those types of ceremonies, but I think it could be a lot of fun, uh, modern recreations. I've seen some of oh, them. Oh, just just hot boxing. Cups. Let's yeah, just essentially be, it's just hot boxing. But yeah, like in, in like the TP with somebody like chanting and beating a drum, I feel like uh, you get a little bit more of the effect and everybody. Uh, yeah. Getting, I feel like at some of the cups, they do that thing where they like uh, now they've got like a glass bowl that like fits, fits onto some of these like leaf blowers and stuff. But uh, sometimes I <laughs> see like tin foil or whatever. They pack like an ounce or more of bud and they just torch the top of it and they walk around the crowd just like blasting people. And uh, yeah, so it, I think the one I thing. Mentioned I think I mentioned people who have done like uh, I, I was at a place where they were celebrating their opening and they like took, I don't know how much, how many grams of like concentrate. I want to say it was like 10 grams or something agreed just like that. And they like just put on a skillet and just sublimated it like immediately just everywhere. And um, that was something anyways, you were saying. No, it's cool. It's just interesting to see like off like a cloud of smoke and uh, something that, strikes me is bob marley used to talk about how lamb's bread and some of the different jamaican strains they would smoke back in the day 
everyone in the room was smoking the same thing at the same time. And I think that it can get you kind of all on like a similar wavelength. Um, not that it, cannabis affects everybody the same way, but something about that, like when they were jamming, making a lot of those uh, tunes back in the day. Oh, yeah. I think it could help them get on, uh, you know, find that beat and then yeah, uh, be able to make some music. Yeah, sharing an experience like that. And the I think more about storytelling. Share, I, I agree. It sort of strengthens that experience. Plus yeah. creativity. I think we all kind of alluded to. I think it makes me more creative or, or open-minded to new information, new ideas, uh, different ways of thinking. So with that said, I want to pass it next to the American one and ask the same question I've been asking everybody. What initially drew you to cannabis? Well, I don't know. I, I was weird as a kid. And even before I could even think about getting it or smoking it. I was infatuated with weed because my parents were born again, Pentecostal churchgoers. And like, yeah, weed was bad. You know, they were all straight and narrow. And just like if you have uh, probably five-year-old kid and you put down three boxes and say, listen, there's toys in all these boxes. You could have these two, but don't go in that one. The kid, and you walk out of the room, the kid's going right to that one. So I think that might have been why I was like all interested in it. So, yeah, I would go to the library and read on how it's the flowering tops of the cannabis plants, cannabis sativa from India and this and that. But um, then when I eventually got older, I actually smoked the first time and it was ninth grade and the kid had a joint. We were outside and uh, we only had a couple of minutes. The bell rang. And he's like, you want to hit? You want it? I'm like, hey, all right, I'll take a hit. I took a couple puffs. It didn't feel nothing. But um, shortly thereafter, uh, I got I got high. I did it to to get high. I was drinking beer and uh, I don't know if I was smoking cigarettes, but I was drinking beer. So yeah, I was into looking to get high. And uh, yeah, it, right, shortly after like the first couple of times, I was um, I knew it was for me. Did you and get high? That I went from that. Off? Excuse me. That very first time, that first puff. Did you get high off that? No, I didn't get high no. that time. And one other time I smoked, I really didn't get high. And then I. I, I thoroughly remember I had gotten high before this time, but it was probably way better weed. We were in my room and I always loved those like desk chairs with the rollies and the armrests. I'm sitting on that thing with my arms on the armrests and we just smoked up. And I swear, I started feeling like I was just rising up off the ground. And yeah, I'll never forget that yeah, feeling. Yeah. And, and like, I'll never forget that those are the, but one of the best like experiences with the first few times you get high with the people that you get high with yeah it's always fun i was just and, gonna say uh, hell you'll yeah. all chase that high right like yeah. my first time i felt like yeah. i was on a couch drifting through the ocean and the tv was getting further and further away and i was just like in such a bliss like it was uh and and i'll very also hard to say uh, i got i think i may have reached i i think i extended that the first time i made real potent edible we he, i ate the edible man i was laughing like i was a kid dude it was and it was just off of stupid shit and and then we went I went for a walk and just looking down the, the street on the sidewalk. It was just crazy being stoned on an edible, potent edible that first time. That's funny, bro, because I say I smoke for medicinal and I eat edibles for recreational. <laughs> oh. so I have a question that came up there. This this used to be a thing. When I was coming up, everybody would say that the first time you smoke, you won't get high. Um, and you need to smoke it at least two times and maybe on the second time or the third time that you'll get high and like every time after that. But like this is something that one of these things that hasn't come up much recently until it, it, you just said it. Uh, I, like, is that a thing? 
Is that is that Absolutely. I don't I really know that that's I actually think, a thing. I mean, that I was definitely the urban legend that I grew up with. No, but, I have a theory now. That that that. I didn't get high. I'll tell you I why. So long. I didn't get high the first few times I smoked. We, we I did. Oh God, I got so high I didn't know where I was the first time. Yeah, I, I got stoned my first time too. I don't so, know. I think Tao, I have some ideas people, about it too. I want to hear Tao's theory, and then we'll go to Matt. Yeah, I think a lot of people are cannabinoid deficient and. When the first time you smoke, you don't reach the point where it's reaching your brain. It's going to all the other parts of your body, or yeah, yeah you have to but develop. I think they're maybe. not inhaling. That's the thing. I, I, I think know. that's a big part of it. I think or I agree. It might, well, yeah, there's that. There's uh, there's uh, pot- there's maybe the potency of the actual you know product itself, but also I think a lot of it comes from you know the sort of ambiguity of doing it for the first time, like what you're saying with like not inhaling. Or, um, you know, just doing some other sort of thing that's just not what you're supposed to do, if, especially if you have no not experience what to smoking expect. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I think that that's like, you know, and it's your first time doing the thing. So, like, it makes sense that you'd have this sort of, like, lack of consistency amongst I, various people. I saw someone on their first time. They were sitting on a couch watching TV and everybody was smoked up. And uh, somebody looked over and asked, like, because they knew it was their first time, like, do you feel it? Are you high? And they said, no. They looked over and their eyes were squint shut, blood fucking red. And then, like, they, <laughs> once they said no, they just started giggling their ass off and, like, realized, like, oh, fuck, like, right. it did hit them. And I do think that the uh, other thing that used to talk about low potency, let's talk about no potency. They're selling hemp to kids now. And they're also selling oregano. Back in my day, they'd fucking grind up some <laughs> other happens. herb in a bag, throw it in there and sell it to kids. So pe- people might have thought their first time they didn't get high. They might have been smoking oregano or some other shit. Who knows? I bet that happens to, uh, you know, more than people, more than people re- would think. Yeah. I want to but is, that, but is that still a thing? Do kids, uh, kids, do, do people still come up thinking that these days? Yeah, that's a good question. I agree with you. Yeah. I wonder how prevalent that is now. Because to everybody to told youth. me that before I smoked, everybody's like, oh, it's the first time is it going to do anything to you, dude. You got to do it a few times before it's going to do anything to you. And like I smoked and it fully expecting it wasn't going to do anything to me. And like I forgot where I was like I didn't. Yeah, I was so high. I mean, I had to be like helped home. It's crazy how ripped you can get that first time if you I think I really do think it's inhaling and the potency of the cannabis. But Brandon, we didn't get to you yet. I uh, was going to ask, what was it that initially drew you to cannabis? Uh, probably Teenage Rebellion. I just was like at that time where I was like fed up with everything and I was finding a way to, you know, I was trying to figure shit out. You know what I mean? Like in my head, I was also on uh, pharmaceuticals since I would like was like age of like six to 14. You know, after I had the I didn't get high for the first couple of times either. But when when I did get high, finally, that shit hit like fucking LSD. And I was fucking tripping. I was tripping. I was teleporting. I remember I was so high. Uh, I remember exactly where we were at Rincon Middle School in Escondido. And we were, it was the weekend. And I got some white rhino from Lana. And she worked at the Suntan Center on Valley Parkway. And we went to the school. Me, my boy, Sean Casey, and some other kid rolled up, and we ended up matching bowls. And this is the first time I ever smoked chronic, so we got to smoke two different types of chronic. And I was so fucking high, I was, like, losing track of time, and I came to standing in front of the teller at a 7-Eleven, and she was looking at me going, 17 cents, please. 
17 cents, please. She kept repeating it. And I had, I was like, what the fuck is going on? I came to, and I realized I had a, a, a large cherry slushy in my hand and I had already given her money and I needed to pay her 17 more cents. And so I was, I was, I was fucking tripping <laughs> my balls. That sounds like a fugue state, Brandon. Wow. That is, I've uh, heard this described as a comic impressive. book. High, oh yeah. Where I, like I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was, dude. And then when I got on the bus to go home that that afternoon, it was like I was sitting on the bus and everything was moving in frames. And it felt like, have you remember when you go watch those old shows where they're filming somebody in the car and you can obviously tell the backdrop is moving and not the vehicle? Yeah, I was yeah. in that, like my perceptions. And so <laughs> what it did when I came to, I realized that like perception was. Uh, not one narrow thing and so it made me have a different kind of perception of reality and I'd already been studying like you know like the occult section at the library and I knew about different types of things so it made me like kind of reassess uh, the world in kind of more so I could try to more deeply understand that and then uh, you know also I stopped taking the pharmaceuticals um, and then ideally it became my lifestyle because honestly cannabis you know, up until recently was like one of the last real American like enterprises, you know, free from taxes. It was, it's not something that was harmful other than like the harm that the government put on it. And by making the cartels and the gangs. Well, yeah, because of it's because of its designation on the, you know, drug charge or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what made it dangerous, right? Ultimately, True. because of the people that you might have had to deal with to get your weed or, you know, might have been the same people that were dealing fucking coke or something like that, you know, back then. So a lot of that shit was tied together. But for me, cannabis gave me freedom. It gave me independence to be able to work for myself, to be independent from the government and from, you know, like regulations. It was like something that I fell in love with because it was it gave me the freedom to do what I love and support myself and be financially stable. Uh, and so that was kind of what just kept me in it for so long was just even through the bad times, like prison and shit like that, it always came back to it just because it always was that one thing that was, that was like real freedom to me. Whenever I've been away from it, it's my life hasn't been better. I will, I'll say that I've, I've missed it. And then when I start using it again, I'm like, oh, well, you know, whatever negative perceptions I had on it were really just my own shortcomings. And uh, sometimes it's hard to admit that I was just being lazy and uh, it's a good medicine. It helps me sleep. It helps with all these other things. And it's funny that you talked about having that sort of like I, I describe it as a comic book high where it feels like you're just like kind of like flashing from like one moment to another. And there's like time lost in between. Uh, I had that happen with some blueberry diesel when I was young. I came out here. My brother uh, had a plug that he was like selling the shit to the dispensaries or whatever. And he said, this shit's too strong, but I sell it to my friends and family or whatever. And uh, we smoked it. And I also fucking came to at a 7-Eleven. <laughs> and I had like one of those monster energy drinks that you could take the cap off of and like reseal it. And was I was like three monster drinks in one. Those big fucking huge. I love those. The, the yeah. BFC, I think it's called the big fucking Growing can. Up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I don't drink this shit anymore. But uh, anyway, at the time I had apparently was fucking wanting one to keep my little adventure going. And I came to at a 7-Eleven and I was filling it up with like a Powerade. And at <laughs> the same time, I was being jabbed in the back by like a security guard with his little nightstick, oh. like 
dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you can't just fill up your fucking BFC that you didn't <laughs> buy here at his 7-Eleven. So I, I like turned around, I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, you got to pay for it or like, get the fuck out. And I, I like had it, it was already filled up. So I threw the cap on it and walked out and like, they didn't make me pay for it. And I was just so high. <laughs> it's like one of those moments. It's funny you that just, Brandon said that. You just bluffed it. You were just like, I'm leaving now. <laughs> it's like, I'll see you later then. I bid you adieu. Farewell. It reminds me of that scene in Half Baked where they're all kids and they're like, can you feel anything? And he's like, I don't know. I, th- I think so. And he's holding like this giant Abba Zaba. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The other thing that struck me as funny in that little uh, walk was I was chewing gum and I was in, I'll say the neighborhood, it's the Pacific Palisades in a really nice fucking neighborhood in Los Angeles area. And I spit my gum out on somebody's lawn and then as i walked i was like 10 feet further and i could look back and see it was like a bright blue gum and they're like beautiful green lawn that was perfectly cut and i felt so bad i walked back and i fucking picked the gum up out of their lawn because i was like man i'm not gonna be the one who fucked up their lawn like every single place was so well kept like i don't want to be that asshole who fucking spit my gum out and just like left it and like that's the one thing ruining this beautifully manicured yard and this amazing neighborhood so those are, uh, did you, did any out. of you guys did any of you guys ever get the Homer effect where you were verbalizing, not realizing that you were verbalizing what you were thinking? I've never really had that ever in my life. I've seen in certain situations, yeah. When I was like my first few years, I would be pretty vocal when I got high. Yeah. I experienced not thinking certain times. But I think like he's talking about it's almost like the truth serum where you just like start talking your thoughts out loud. Like I've seen people do that where they're like, they'll look at somebody and be like, and they're not a disrespectful individual, but maybe they don't have a high cannabis tolerance. They smoked a little too much. And then like, they might be married and like with their wife and then like some pretty lady walks by and they'll comment on that pretty lady's <laughs> appearance and maybe get the slap on the wrist or the face or whatever it is. Uh, so, and back in the day, they used to experiment with cannabis as a truth serum for the U.S. military, like they've in Pineapple Express. That was kind of what they were referencing with Bill Hader at the very beginning, the item nine, and they're like having him smoke it, and he just basically like doesn't give them the answers they're looking for or whatever, and just gets really high and silly. But um, <laughs> they were trying to uh, use that as a like mind control or a truth serum, interestingly enough. So that's why I like MK Ultra is a brand, actually, which it. I just popped, Brandon. I popped some of your Purple Kush MK Ultra F2s. So. Ooh, nice. you're gonna like that oh chad in the chat just uh referenced um that they had a friend that spoke two languages and they wouldn't they would forget which one to speak and slip the wrong one um you know it's funny uh sometimes uh <laughs> i would do something like that where especially if i was trying to recall a chinese phrase and i would break into spanish instead because i'm way more familiar with spanish and it's much closer to english yeah so like that uh that that has definitely happened for sure i've definitely had those moments being high with people and this happened mostly abroad actually but being high with people who spoke foreign languages and i just would start speaking spanish to them because in my mind at that point there was english and then there was like foreign language and i knew foreign language so i could like speak it to them and they would have to tell me like you know ad nauseum we don't speak spanish like we speak russian or we speak japanese or something it didn't matter it they was speak like, better english than they do i spanish. would continuously try to speak to them in spanish yeah that's funny that's like when i would when i used to drink sometimes i speak a very little bit of spanish like just enough like i'll call it like broken working spanish like i can get right. places i can order food 
but if I would get a little too drunk, I would start trying to speak like I knew fluent Spanish and it was just a fucking disaster waiting to happen. So <laughs> definitely don't try and do that. If you're like myself, you'll make yourself look like a damn fool. Brandon, I wanted to follow up the question Gringo you asked moment. earlier. It said, uh, yes, Gringo Loco indeed. Um, since then has, uh, your use or thoughts on cannabis changed or evolved? Cause it sounds like you kind of gave us your earlier description. And I, I know just personally that it probably has changed a lot, but I'm curious to hear from the horse's mouth. Um, it's changed. It's different. It's being taxed in a lot of places that people can't even make, can, can hardly be profitable at it. So I'm saying like your use though, like your, your consumption, oh, my use. your, like in your life, your lifestyle of cannabis, like, um, how, well, how's, uh, they used to the call me iron it. lung back in high school because I could rip down an eighth and three hits. And while I probably can't do that now, I still smoke the same exact way. I do big ass bong hits out of my bong and my consumption isn't, is pretty much the same. I've been, I don't, I don't consume a ton of weed. In fact, uh, it's really easy for me to overconsume, especially like if I'm out, at like an event or something like that. So I'll have to make sure I drink shitload of water and I have to make sure I stay extra cool if I'm smoking a lot. So uh, I usually just take like one, maybe two bong hits and I'm good to go. And I'll do that a couple times a day usually. An eighth and three hits, damn. Yeah, that was the, that was the, so the way I got that nickname was because we were at this party, somebody's, parents were out of town and our buddy Andy came by and his brother sold chronic and you know we were our kids so we could if we could if we could even find chronic it was less likely that we could afford it and he had like you know a couple ounces at this party and he's like I'll he's like I'll give you an eighth if you can smoke an eighth and three hits and so I just I fucking powered through that so I could get myself an eighth of chronic and uh but I've always I've always liked the the effect from smoking out of a bong because I can a decent quantity really fast in like a large volume. And for me, that's what really gets me like the place to where my mind is like going and I'm like able and I start to internalize things and try to, you know, my mind is always kind of racing anyway. But when I smoke, it, it helps. I to like organize the thoughts in my head i love bong hits too it's uh I, for me that's like that or a dab i feel like is uh other than edibles going to be the most potent like felt effect of cannabis in a short period of time especially if you're like about to get out the door head to bed i don't know just get some cannabinoids in your system to keep you well medicated for whatever's coming up and i always prefer uplifting weed weed that's more mentally stimulating over things that are sedative because i don't like to have that narcotic cannabis high that's definitely not my jam i got too much stuff to do i'm, I'm i guess i don't have as much stuff to do but uh, i like all ends of the spectrum i like that really zippy upbeat like give you a panic attack high to like the shit that will make you so stoned like you can't get off your couch or you just fall right asleep and everything in between i think uh it's nice to have the spectrum of things. And it's funny when you talked about the three and a half uh, gram, you know, in three hits, um, it just, again, flashback to like being younger and doing crazy, silly shit when you're a uh, stoner with your friends. Spartan had that little zong again, also reminded me um, we had like a probably in total two feet. It was like a foot and a half tall, but with the kinks or whatever, it was like a six or seven kink 
Zong. And the bowl was one that held like a full eighth. So like you could, you know, pack it up fat and pass it around to a bunch of people and smoke the bowl or whatever. Um, but we were doing what was called blind rips where like you'd fucking, somebody else would hold the bong for you and you'd just close your eyes and inhale. And, um, I was also kind of a little bit known as like an iron lung and fucking, we started, you know, toasting the bowl or whatever. And, uh, I cheated a little bit because I was inhaling for so long. I was like, Jesus Christ, like we have to pull this bowl at some point. And, uh, so I opened up my eyes and I looked down and like, it's fully milky white. And at the very bottom, like you could see like the big bulb like of a you know base it's not like white smoke it's like a yellow like brown yeah it's oh, so yeah. Oh, so yeah that's the good stuff and, I, and they pull it and i just fucking ripped the shit out of it and like that was definitely one of the higher i'd ever been and uh held it down everybody like after that point i had like it was my older brothers and their friends like got all their respect because they're like we thought you were gonna die and i was fucking like handled it we uh i was a lifeguard at the time like going through training like my brother and i went to fucking training right after that we were so high in the classroom it was great but uh with that said yeah anyway how many of you guys how many of you guys uh when you were younger were doing like the six foot bong challenge where like the homie had like the six footer it was like the acrylic plastic with the with like the the carb on the back of the you can't even light it yourself because the bowl is so far away you have to have your buddy like a didgeridoo or something yeah you can't even get a hit till like you've already like blow suck the whole you know what i mean you have to then redo it again gravity bongs we did all that crazy stuff when we were growing up one person fucking holding the fucking neck you got one person lighting the bong and one person upstairs (laughs) hitting the fucking thing (laughs) you're you're standing on it on a chair in the in the in the in the middle living room or the kitchen uh Man, that was kind of like the beer bongs of, of of weed, you know, when when you're younger doing like cake stands or, or beer oh, bongs. No, I say gravity bong is the beer bong. The gravity bong is still king, man. Well, I have I have to rip. joke that uh, I do not have lungs of iron. I have lungs of antimony because I have to be careful. And that's probably why I didn't have like a really bad first time because I was very fastidious. <laughs> I really better knew be my limits. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say salvia. I was, uh, I had already learned how to inhale from smoking cannabis. So when I tried salvia the first time that like Brandon said, brought me to another dimension. And I was like, holy shit, this is, uh, you know, not for me. Like doc was saying, I think cannabis for me is, uh, the best, uh, high, or at least the one I enjoy the most. So it's uh, interesting to see how it compares though. Not that I advocate anybody use that drug in particular. It's a crazy ass one. Even I can't believe that it was legal for so long. It probably still is legal in many it's places. Still, I'm pretty sure it's still legal. I think it still is. Yeah, it's just never been overwhelmingly popular. But yeah, I've yeah, it's because it's got a fucking day. dark ass high associated yeah. with it. Like, well, watch gardening yeah. on salvia. That is some hilarious shit. You don't have to experience it yourself. You can watch this guy get really, really, really high on salvia and then try and garden, and he basically just like evolves into like a laughing fit and doesn't get any gardening done at all so <laughs> it's not a very functional uh thing like as we mentioned earlier cannabis yeah. is almost like a cup of coffee for some people and uh some people like myself can't even handle a cup of coffee i'd fucking be wired and bouncing off the walls and shaking and shit so uh, yeah that's like me that being said we're kind of getting towards the uh end of the show here and i know uh we haven't quite wrapped things up just yet, but I want to pass it to Spartan Grown to see if you have any final thoughts before. I know you're not getting going just yet, and uh, I don't even know if you're going to have to let the dogs out. I think you said you're at a different place. Oh, so. but do, yeah, we do have to pee. <laughs> so, but yeah, I can hang out for a little bit, but I did want to cover one thing. Maybe we can push to the next show if you want to, but uh, before I forget it, I want to say it at least, and that's um, um, 
our buddy uh, Steve Reisner over at Potent Ponics has, has brought up a good point about saponins and how at very like parts per billion, I think he's saying it's deadly to fish. So that makes me wonder. Yeah. And certain uh, insects and other things. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's something that we should really be worrying about um, as far as that in, in runoffs. Like, I, I was anyone talking about that? Where this runoff goes, if you're using saponins, is that going to be an issue if it's something that goes into a natural system, if there's a drain to go, which it shouldn't if you got if it's runoff and got nutrient in it, but I guess either. But Not to be presumptuous, but I assume that we were probably thinking of the same post where recently he was bringing it up in a conversation. Yeah. Um, I was surprised that the, that I guess it was like a product or something. And, uh, you know, like. It was just a sapin. I'm not sure which one. Yeah. But like, the thing is that, yeah, saponins are, you know, there's a, a whole ton of them and they don't all do exactly the same kind of thing, but a lot of them are like very easily toxic and, I always think about the, um, you know, the, the, the fishing technique for, you know, using saponins in that way. Um, it was a very, very uh, sort of effective way of doing that. But, um, you know, also I think of like the toxicity for like uh, aquatic arthropods, which are a lot of times, oftentimes they're really important, certain ones that these are, are really great indicators that there aren't a whole bunch of like, you know, weird things that you would, you wouldn't really want, not just opponents, but other things as well. Um, and at least it's been inculcated into me to treat that stuff very, um, you know, very, very uh, uh, securely, because like you say, it's only a very small fraction that needs to go into like cause some problems. Uh, for organisms in um, rivers and streams and that kind of a thing. I don't know how often, to be honest, um, runoff becomes an issue, but I mean, maybe the eutrophic, the eutrophication from like nutrients is probably quicker. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we consider how much gets into the waterways, right? So that might when get overshadowed. Aren't naturally occurring saponins out there? Like it's in soap nuts, it's in yucca. Yeah. So if that stuff's growing, yeah, isn't going exactly. to get into This is the naturally occurring and they break down pretty quickly. I don't think there's a, a huge risk of sort of killing off fish by misdisposing of water i mean there could be it depends on where you're disposing your water i guess in the first place like humble. you shouldn't be disposing your your agricultural runoff in any place that's going directly to where their fish are anyways that's true Humble exactly, used to have an right. issue with that big time i mean they had a lot of unpermitted grows that were yeah. having runoff that would go to streams and that from humboldt seed company before he was in uh, the cannabis side of things he studied like the salmon and their movements and he still does. He swims the river every single year up there to monitor populations and health. And yeah. um, there are direct links to, unfortunately, cannabis cultivation sites in, in certain areas of the U.S. where it's gotten better now. But yeah, I just I, I, I definitely agree with that. There's a lot more dangerous stuff that those people are probably putting in their water than the sort of the yucca powder. Um, right, right. Well, right, and even agricultural farms, like if, if you live close enough to one of those, I'm sure the local water supply and like fracking and all these other things that are happening at large industrial scales, um, basically all over the U S even like in California, like people think that it's this, uh, environmental Mecca, but there's still fracking that happens here and all sorts of other, uh, agriculture that could have potential runoffs and uncapped, you know, um, you know, things that are putting off gases in factories and things like that. So there's tons of environmental issues that I think maybe would, I'd be worried about a little bit before the yucca, but it is a very good point. And I, I guess Steve being with uh, 
working with fish, you know, potent ponics. He has yeah. uh, that side of things. He has to worry about it. He really does have to worry about it because his population yes. could be affected. Yeah, you don't want to put it directly, but if you're, you know, draining or dumping some water with saponins, I'd be more worried about like what else is in that water and and how it's going to be potentially treated. Um, it's got me thinking a little bit, but yucca grows in bodies of water. I mean, there's 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 got to be some explanation for why all the fish aren't sort of already dead by this. You know what I mean? Yeah, we I wonder. Clean if- Water Act too that. Uh, basically discourages and makes it illegal for people to just like go ahead and dump certain uh, fertilizers or, or things in certain places. Yeah. Not that everybody follows it, but it is the at least a place. So phosphates. you should be encouraged to not. Yeah, dump. They're, they're really what we're worried about is is the free nitrates and phosphates. And definitely, uh, I, I, I think that there there's other issues potentially. But yeah, I haven't heard much about saponins, and in, in particular, being any kind of concern to the larger environment. I wonder if like, uh, you know, to some degree there's like, cause it seems like the toxicity effect is like, you know, it could be that in some places where the plants are native, maybe it's less of a problem for those organisms. And, and but because we like take stuff and grow it everywhere else, maybe, maybe it causes some problems in more sensitive environments, but I was always told, I was always told to be, to be wary of it. But like you say, there are definite, it's a living, it's a natural compound. So um, there must be something going on. Um, Yeah. I mean, I just want to, I guess. Maybe artificially putting too much. Like a situation, like this is very specific, right. But a situation where a grower is like, a home grower is like, yeah, I'm trying to do the best I can to grow some organic medicine and they're using organic yucca and then they're maybe getting a little bit of runoff that they're catching underneath their pots and they're saying, you know, I don't want to waste this water. I want to go water this lily that I have growing next to my pond and it fucking wipes out their koi or something. You know, I just want to make <laughs> sure that it's not. Yeah, I'm curious if, if the what the mechanism is that it's so damaging to fish. If it's just because of the reduction in surface temperature or surface tension, um, if that affects fish in some way, that's really significant. I think to it's them. actually toxic. Or I if it's it, something, yeah, if it's other sort of chemical based pathway. At least with like insects and arthropods I, and like mollusks, I think also can be pretty negatively affected. So like, I think it's something. Well, it's gotta be a it question right of dosage. Well, it sounds like a very right. low dose, like part per billion is what he was saying, which is kind of the crazy thing. So I think that like Matthew's saying, it's probably more a toxin thing than a surfactant thing, because to make it the water wet enough that the whole entire pond or whatever would uh, right. basically drown the fish by making the water so wet that they can't breathe through their gills uh, would be like, more difficult than poisoning them with like a little drop of really, really potent poison. Really but if it was so toxic, why doesn't every time a yucca falls into a swamp, like all the fish die? Because like that happens, and like all the fish don't die. Well, right. they do. So I just googled it quick. They go fishing with the stuff, so they, they do. Yeah, it. but I think yeah. it's a dosage thing. It's like you need to have a pretty yeah. strong concentration of it being released. Pulverize it. Yeah, yeah. You got to get it more concentrated, pulverize it, and whatnot. Yeah, you beat up the roots and then dump them in the water. Um, yeah. A cursory Google search shows that I guess um, at least tea saponin extracts we're evaluated for toxicity for a couple of uh, organisms. So a couple of insects here. And I think it interferes with their ability to detoxify other poisons actually. So maybe it's like, uh, 
yeah i guess i guess like it, it uh it, it 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 stresses their um at least these two organisms here these uh, ectropis oblica apparently good clarification um, there i want to give spartan a chance because he's got the michigan bros pro show to get on over to in about 13 minutes a uh, chance to give his final thoughts and shout outs um I want to pull up on my phone because today I was in, yeah, uh, man, I should wrote down what the name of the grocery store was, but I was at a grocery store. I was in, I'm in Illinois today and um, there's a grocery store I had an event. So I was like, Hey, let's swing in here. So it's just, you know, a random event. Well, I guess they have it every month. So that's super cool to know. Um, but it was just all different cannabis vendors. There were seed vendors. There was a lot of clones. I was surprised and, pleasantly surprised to see a lot of clones were available. I was like, that's super cool. And, um, and then there's all kinds of art uh, goes on and on and on. But anyways, uh, I was recognized by uh, his, his Instagram is sandwich B met him up there. And he, he had a, uh, um, like a, a club. Uh, uh, I can't remember. It wasn't a compassion club, but it's a, uh, anyways, it's a group that they, that they um, formed and they had their own booth. So I hung out there and he uh, kind of broke my chair the first time I uh, smoked out of a chillum. So I was smoking out of a chillum with him and uh, it was awesome wow. because he had some of uh, Rascal Farmer's uh, hash and Rascal Farmer is fucking badass. So it was super cool to have that Michigan connection here in Illinois. Yep. And um, I see him whenever I'm out in Chicago. Do you? Yeah, yeah. he's such a cool dude, man. Yeah, he always has hash with him. Always, man. He's a chilling like, guy. If he's a chilling guy, he's a big hash guy. Little fucking Tootsie Rolls, fucking man. <laughs> so, Probably so, says Balm Shiva before he lights it up. Yep. Yep. Love Rasba Farmer, man. He's so cool. And uh, so that was super cool. Just a random, I mean, a random kind of a thing. And so uh, I want to shout them out. Oh, and I met his buddy, Prairie Grass Selections. He's a breeder. He's an outdoor breeder here in Illinois, which I was like, all right, dude, I got you. When you said you breed them outdoor here in Illinois, I'm interested. I'm an outdoor breeder. I want some seeds. So I picked up his lime vine. And uh, so I'll be checking that one out. And he hooked me up with uh, actually a fucking awesome amount of them. So thank you very much. And uh, I'll be hunting them. He said there's three different phenos, three di distinct phenos. So I'll be hunting. I want the lime one. He said there's one that's a straight lime. So that's the one I'm hunt hunting right now. I've got Limelight uh, Brandon's hanging in my dry room right now. I can't wait to get that. It was the F1, so I can't wait to get that trimmed up. Probably, in, it's probably going to take about another week to drive, but I can't wait for it. Hunting lines. So, oh, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah, I'm all excited. So, <laughs> sorry. Um, GG4's got me high today. Thanks to you guys on the panel, man. This was fucking awesome hanging with you guys. Uh, thanks to chat. I actually kind of zoned out half the time and couldn't uh, keep up with you guys. It was rolling a little bit faster than normal today. So shout out to chat showing up big today. Awesome to see everybody. Hooks up with a thumbs up and uh, we'll see y'all next week, man. I'm going to head over to the Michigan Bros Grow Show and I'll see y'all in, was it 10 minutes now? Peace out, Martin. 10 minutes it is. Never apologize, Spartan. It was awesome to hear your passion and always great to have you. Grow our love, Spartan. Keep growing, everybody. Keep growing indeed. Anybody else on the lime hunt at all? I know Brandon's got some lime stuff going pretty uh, often. I'm a lime Always. fan. Yep. I've got Limerilla times F5 lime, which is bred by Mean Gene. I gave him a clone of my Limerilla at Emerald Cup. He gave me some seeds like a year later. I'm going to take that 
one of the males back onto my Limerilla. And then I also have my Blueberry Train Mac. Uh, I'm going to take that onto Limerilla. And then I'm also going to take my Starfighter onto the Limerilla. Sounds fire. Tal, is, uh, have you yielded anything in the chocolate hunt so far? How's that going? No, I haven't yielded anything, but I got I got all the runners ready. I got uh, I still have four females, and I got one male now. I'm gonna use, and uh, but one one female in particular seems like she's gonna be the one I'm gonna try to start with. Uh, but yeah, no, nothing nothing happening yet. I didn't bring out the Barry White. Got to break out the Barry White. Uh, Noah, break out the Barry White. Yeah. Any new flavors in the garden uh, that are coming down or have come down recently? Um, you know, I I have uh, a new one, uh, Moon Boots. That's uh, probably like week three, week four that I'm pretty excited about, but nothing too much. Um, man, I've been so busy. I haven't even been posting on Instagram that much. I've been so busy. Uh, I had a I have a a hole in my roof. Um, not a hole, but it's leaking. So my brother-in-law, luckily, he's a you know really good construction guy. We got to take a bunch of some replace a couple of rafters, take it all the way down a whole nightmare that I'm dealing with right now. And just my granddaughter and I have another granddaughter on the way. And I've been just, I've been so busy. I haven't, I mean, I'm just barely able to wrangle what I got. I got a bunch of stuff I got to go through. I just haven't had a chance yet. So glad that you're still able to keep everything running. And if there's a leak, it sounds like there's a hole somewhere in the roof. So I'm glad you got somebody good on it. Cause that's a, uh, it can turn into something worse if you don't take oh, care man. of it soon. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, you got it, it really helps to have good people. I mean, especially now that things are a little bit more out in the open, you can actually have real professionals come over and fix shit up for you. It doesn't have to be uh, I know a guy or who knows a guy or pay somebody off to keep them quiet or that type of thing. Uh, Doc, I know that you were talking about recently getting started back up soon. I'm curious, uh, have you started popping seeds yet again for the uh, grow challenge? No, but up? it's going to have to happen this week, man. It's going to have to happen. By the time we meet again next week, I should have some, at least some sprouts or seedlings or something. Um, still haven't figured out exactly where I'm going to be growing these plants, but I've got some options, just none that I'm really that excited about. So I got to set up my tent somewhere, probably in the room that I'm sitting in right now, which means that eventually it might get loud in here when I'm on these shows, but we'll see. We'll see. Zoom does a pretty good job with uh, filtering out fans and stuff in the background, I will say. Yeah, but my brain doesn't like it anyway. <laughs> like, it's nice and quiet here now. Um, so putting the, the tent back into my office seems like a big downgrade in terms of like quality of life, but I'll get over it. I'm excited to get plants again. I'm just not excited about having the damn fan running in here, basically. Maybe we'll get you hooked up with one of those silencers and my... Uh... I have a good yeah, friend. Yeah, I got a silencer and I probably use it. That, that definitely helps. Um, it, it's also like the oscillating fan. It's just the whole buzz of the grow. You know, I mean, the, the oscillating fans listen to me, the clip fans, but you know, the like everything that's in there that's making some noise. Um, yeah, but I am home. thinking about maybe putting the the fan, like punching a, a wall, a hole through the wall of the garage and actually put the fan in the garage and just have it be like sucking the air out of the tent. It's probably a good idea. Well, I'm sure you'll figure out a good solution when the time comes, but I'm going to pass it to Matthew Gates first to give his final thoughts and shout out. Cool topics. I definitely liked having like, you know, basically one hour block of uh, 
of an interesting subject we could all talk about and then kind of going into a more personal, like it was almost like there was a professional personal split and uh, that was probably on purpose and I liked it. Um, if you are interested in learning more about pests and things like that, um, you can reach out to me at zenthanol.com for professional inquiries, but also you can check out a ton of my educational information on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, the same one that I comment in the chat with. And you can also find, much like Brandon, a lot of the stuff that I talk about on Instagram at SyncAngel, also on Twitter at SyncAngel. I'm up to like 600 followers now, um, you know, because I just fill that with a bunch of uh, PhDs and researchers and things like that and always got cool stuff to look at. So, yeah, definitely uh, make it part of your habit to learn more about pests and that kind of a thing. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you. And next up, Dr. MJ. Hey guys, I had a lot of fun. I should make up maybe for, for missing out on last week, but this is a lot of fun episode. I enjoyed all the topics that we got into. I enjoyed hearing all of your stories about what it was like the first few times you got high and the stupid ass stuff that everybody did that like seriously made me want to be like, I did that too. No, the same experience. And I know like everybody in the chat was sort of thinking that that too. It was fun to read. Uh, a lot of what what the chatters were talking about sort of like how how cannabis has affected them so i thought this was a cool sort of little love letter to cannabis episode in that second half of the show at least and we got into some pretty cool thoughts in the some science stuff in the first half so i agree with with matthew zenthanol and that was on that way as well so anyways uh, like i was just talking about we're starting the plant training grow challenge at coco for cannabis um flip day for that is the sort of key coordinating date and that's october 1st so you still have time to get your plants up and growing and and get them in position to flip them on october 1st with us we're doing our first giveaway on september 1st just like a little over a week and if you get your journal started by the september 1st giveaway you'll be eligible for that um, that's a Mars Hydro FCE 3000 with a smart grow system. So a cool little light with a app-based controller that we're giving away. Um, that's free. We're doing a plant training or sorry, the grower love giveaway is going on, um, as well at Cocoa for Cannabis on the deals and discounts page. Um, come check out the, the chat room and hang out with people. I did the, the Sundays and Confused show this morning with Small Poker and Crispy Wannabe and, Weed Nerd, WD, DWC, and um, yeah, Puffy D. Um, it was a fun show. If you haven't seen the Sundays and Confused, be sure to, to check that out on sort of your YouTube watch show. It's on the Small Poker YouTube channel. Small Poker is a great Gromy that's been around for quite a long time. And I'm sure we could all learn quite a few things from watching Smart and Crispy grow as well. So I'll shut up now and uh, pass it on, but thanks for the show. Cheers, Doc, and uh, cheers to Smart Poker. Definitely subscribe to Smart Poker on YouTube. Great, great channel over there. Awesome people. Pleasure to have them in the chat right now, uh, both Crispy and Smart. And I want to say this is sort of like the mullet episode. It was business up front and party in the back. You know, first hour, we talked bro. Second hour, we talked, you know, having fun, partying, life. But with that said, Brandon Rust. Uh, what's going on? Yep. Uh, well, good show. I liked it, too. I liked the way that it was laid out and everything. Um, if anybody's interested in Bokashi Earthworks and what I do, you can check check out uh, www.bokashieearthworks.com. I have 
uh, microbes, humic fertilizers, amendments. I'll have soil listed on there soon. And I'm also coming out with new products with the green waste recycling with uh, my new business partners. And so we're just, I'm always on the move, always doing something, working on some licensing down in Columbia. Uh, and then also, if you're in New York, you can catch me at the Organic Cup. I'm going to be judging and speaking there, also in Michigan. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much, Brandon. Pleasure having you. Next up, Noah the Grower. Yeah, I had a blast too today. Uh, it was really cool here. And everybody, just like everybody said, you know, I was that was a really cool thing, uh, really nostalgic for me. Um, Weed's been such a huge part of my life, and to hear how uh, other people it's affected them was really cool for me. Uh, anyways, I'm uh, Noah the Grow on Instagram with two E's. Uh, like I said earlier, I've been kind of slacking on posting, but I promise I'm getting ready to do it. Um, I uh, I got a lot of cool stuff going on, and uh, my plants are all freaking looking healthy and stuff, so I'm really digging that, and I uh, had a great time, and I'll see everybody next week. It's a pleasure having you, Noah, as always. And I guess I will pass it next to the American one. Last and certainly not least. Zach, always a great hosting. And good to see everyone on the panel and everyone in chat. Uh, yeah, I just want to say one more thing about, uh, like, we, we're getting the giggles when you're the first time you're getting high. But you know what? I still get the, like, wah, 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 wah. To this day, like, a really good read. Either just like that extra hit or whatever. It's just like wah, 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 wah. And that's where you know it's good. So I wanted to send that out there. And peace out to everyone in chat. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. I'm the American one on the YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Keens on the IG. And yeah, there's uh, Amy Aces at amyaces.com. And yeah, that's about it. Peace out. And uh, thank you so much, the American one, for joining. All of the info that people just dropped is going to be in the YouTube description about an hour after the show, as well as the podcast listeners. You could check the podcast description. I write out all the people's social media, website information, and all that good stuff as well. So make sure to check that out. You can find me on Instagram or in the description, as you see right here, at Jack Greenstock or Jack underscore Greenstock is my backup. And I'm Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. If you want to email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. And if you want to go on a cannabis-friendly social media website, uh, or app, check out Cannabis, and I'm Jack Greenstock on Cannabis. It's been a pleasure uh, speaking with everybody. This was a fun one this week. I look forward to seeing you all next week. And if you want a copy of my book, 50 Strains of Green, you can go to 50strains.com. Thank you all so much for coming. And uh, Jack Greenstock, signing out. Grow a love, everyone.